you have to actually relax these holidays. I don't. I want to do a lot of renovating. Like a lot. Like I know. I also said yes to recording this podcast with this bitch I hate. Oh, my God. It's all coming out. <laughs> Imagine. Imagine. If you just on air, you were like, Actually, this Ruth, is it. I despise you. And we just released it. I have nothing to release. You're the best human. <laughs> I meant released it like to the public. No. All oh, right. Oh, yeah, we- <laughs> Josephine. How are you? Yeah, pretty good. Pretty good. It's a Saturday that we're recording. It's really weird. Yeah, yeah. which is not our normal day. I like that our uh, sound engineer has blocked out like all the light in the room. Yeah, even so though it's a beautiful tell, day outside. We can't tell that it's a nice day outside. How are you? Mm, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, just... It's it's crazy school time for you. Yeah, I'm the reason why we're recording on a different day. Yeah, but that's I'm fair. always the reason to be fair. But also like I, I because of COVID... <laughs> I have nothing on. <laughs> What's going to happen when the world returns to normal? What I know. Do I don't yourself? know. It's going to be. It's going to be hard. I used to be a very busy person, and now so I'm just busy. not. Yeah. How much do you hate the word busy? You. I think that there's a real awful culture around that. Oh, word. I hate it so yeah. much. Yeah, yeah. And it's like oh, it's just like people ask you, hey, you're like, oh, I'm just so busy. Like, like, shut up. It's such a reflex, isn't it? It is a reflex, and I I'm guilty of it all the time. Same, me I too. Hate it. Even now. Yeah, just then. I'm working 20 hours less a week, and I'm still guilty. You're of You're very busy. To be <laughs> so fair, so busy doing this podcast. <laughs> um, hello, and welcome to my favorite musical, the podcast. Yes, that's thank Ruth. You, thank you for listening. That's Josephine. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for listening and all that. It's Jazz. a musical. It's a musical. It's a, it's musical. a musical. It's a podcast where we talk to you about some of our favorite musicals. Yes, not your favorites. Our favorites. Yes, we it's not your podcast. No, it's ours. It's ours. <laughs> um, we also have a bunch of stuff we do at the beginning of every episode. What do you mean? Like little things that we do. Like, do you have any apologies this oh, week? Oh yeah, I, I do. Do you? Um, it's sort of an apology. It's more that this was brought to my attention. We didn't really discuss Jonathan Groff in our Hamilton I episode. Know. And when one of our listeners mentioned it, I was like, yeah, we didn't. Why didn't we? And I think it's because we've talked about him so much Just generally. at other times that we – We didn't even talk about like – The spit. The spit, which yeah. was the kind of the zeitgeisty thing to talk about. <laughs> And yeah, so I pretty much just wanted to apologize. It's not because we didn't, we don't, I we love, love him. Jonathan Grove. We love him. And he's so good as King George. He's an excellent King George. Yeah. In fact, I did you ever see Brian Darcy James? No, I, but I have seen some other people. Yeah. That aren't Jonathan Groff as well. I think it's such a, cause I love Brian Darcy James as well. Yeah. But it, just to go from Jonathan Groff to Brian Darcy James back to Jonathan Groff is such a weird swap out yeah but it is sort of one of those characters that it doesn't really matter what your age is I love that about that character it's so good like to just be like okay it was Brian Darcy James now it's Jonathan Groff like even in the space of their off-Broadway run to have that change I know but you're like the only thing you have to be is a white man yeah exactly (laughs) yeah and they're everywhere and have like an awesome voice so the spit thing though because everyone was talking about that when the film came out so did I mention it on our little show I'm sure that you mentioned that that was really tame because because, like, <laughs> Little Shop was off-Broadway, right? Yeah. It's a tiny theatre. Yeah. And, like, the front row, it was literally, like... Do they give you, like, a splash needed, Yeah, it's like a splash zone. Like, 
<laughs> I could physically see. It was in the second row, I think, but on the side. So it was, wasn't like I, I was in danger. I wonder if he has just like an overly lubricated mouth. Probably. Because like, so I have a disease called Sjogren's disease where I have very extremely dry eyes and mouth. Yeah. So I can't even imagine producing that much moisture in my mouth. Wow. Like, I didn't, I, you've, I know about your eyes. I didn't know it affected your mouth as yeah, well. Yeah, it does. Yeah. So like, I think that's why I drink like four litres of water a day. Yeah. But just the sheer amount of spit that he's producing or saliva, I should say, is phenomenal. Phenomenal. And to me particularly, like that looks it looks lovely and moist. Yes. Looks quite good. It comfortable probably in helps there. in how lovely and beautiful his voice is as well. That's maybe why mine yeah. is not so lovely and beautiful. Is that uh, what you're saying, fuck Drew? Off. <laughs> anyway, that's my apology. We um, do love Jonathan Groff. Yeah, we do. Do you love have him. an apology? I don't. That's it. Okay. Well, whatever. <laughs> now we move on to our spotlight section. Yeah. So um, I just thought because we ha- we just sort of call it a spotlight, but I thought if someone's listening for the first time, yeah, they might not know. Say. But ever since um, the Black Lives Matter movement and, um, you know, our world's fight against systemic racism, we thought it was important to highlight artists of colour yeah. who um, – or artists of colour and, like, you know, organisations and things like yeah. that that are helping artists of colour in the musical theatre industry. Yeah, it's such a white-dominated uh, world and industry and we think it's important to highlight ethnic minorities. And Josephine and, and I also kind of realised, you know, as two white women as well, like maybe our own lack of education in that area and that we wanted to better ourselves in yeah. that way as well. Yeah. So um, We're we constantly just, learning. Exactly, and, yeah. exactly. And, like, it's it's not only opened my eyes to things but it's also just really good to, I think, do research outside of what would normally just fall in front of you yeah. on the internet. I mean, what's that is that I don't know about you, but to find my spotlight every week, I have to really work hard yeah. on the internet. I have to I have to go pretty deep. Yeah, it's yeah. very true. Which is sad. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Especially because, like, I know for me, I'm not. I'm trying sort of not just to do like performers. Yeah. Because it's, I sort of feel like, yeah, like there are some amazing performers of colour yeah. out there, obviously, but it's like. We're also creatives who are like change makers, exactly. right? We want to talk about those Like people. the real future. Yeah. Yeah. So. Well, mine, th- mine today is a bit, um, it's important, but it is, he is a performer. I want to talk about Chadwick Boseman. Oh yeah. Amazing. Yeah. So Chadwick passed away recently at the age of 43. Um, he's. Arguably, I would think one of the most influential black actors of recent times. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Um, And was a passionate activist. Uh, He began his career on a soap opera where he portrayed a young black man with an absent father and a drug-addicted mother. And he, in a speech, um, like... At his, um, I think it's Howard, the the university oh, yeah. he went to. It's like pro- predominantly it's black. It's predominantly yeah. black. He, he gave a speech there like two or three years ago where he talked about this. So in that on that soap opera, he questioned the producers over those like damaging stereotypes of, of a black man having an absent yeah. father and a drug addicted mother. And he was fired from that job. Wow. Yeah. Uh, since then, he sort of very obviously has taken roles that are strong, influential black characters. Yeah. Um, he was a really articulate, inspirational figure and it's it's a tragedy. Yeah. It's a real tragedy. I actually didn't realise until like even like in a lot of the publicity of his death obviously was about him being in Black Panther. Yeah. And um which like I'm not really a sort of superhero movie person, so I haven't seen Black Panther. Yes. Um, but um he heard amazing reports of his performance yeah. in it and everything. Um but he was also in Holler If You Hear Me That's right. on Broadway with Chris Jackson, you yeah. know, he was George um, Washington in Hamilton and I saw some clips of that recently and I actually didn't realise that at all that he'd done any sort of musical theatre. And I know that that was a very short lived run. Yes. It's about the life of Tupac Shakur, right? That's right. Yeah. yeah. 
Um, and um, but I had heard of that show. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think. Um, I mean, we don't we don't know the impact that he would have had if he had lived longer, but already such an important figure, and yeah, really quite prolific. He's only 43, so that's in, quite a career. In terms of um, just the conversation we are just having about like glorifying busy, um, I've seen a lot of things that have just basically said like he should be an example to all of us about privacy mm. in, in the modern world as well. Like well, The fact he, that no one knew he was even sick. Exactly. Like the people that he wanted to know knew, Yeah, you know, and yeah. so it's like you don't have to publicise everything. You yeah. don't have to, you know, some things are just for you and your loved ones mm. and spending this – the time he got to spend with them was mm. like the important thing, you yeah. know? Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, really sad. Um, yeah, Chadwick Boseman, so yeah. sad. Do you have a spotlight for I us? do. So mine is the um, – it's an organisation mm. and it's one of the organisations – interestingly, it's actually probably um, one of the first organisations that sprung up um, to do with Black Lives Matter. It's called the Broadway Advocacy Coalition. Mm. And they actually started in 2016. Wow. Yeah. And even like pre-election kind of thing. Like awesome. they're, they're like quite established at this yeah. point. But obviously have also like kicked things off, um, you know, since the events of this year. So they, the Broadway Adv- Advocacy Coalition builds the capacity of directly impacted advocates, artists, students, organisations and communities to use the arts as an integral part of their social change work. So they were founded in 2016 by members of the Broadway community as a direct response to the nation's um, pandemic of racism and police brutality. And they've since grown into a multidisciplinary organisation uniting artists with legal experts and community leaders to have a lasting impact on policy issues, including criminal justice reform, education, equity and immigration. Yeah, so their very first event was in August 2016. Wow. And that was called Broadway for Black Lives Matter. That's awesome. Yeah, and that basically like um, there was obviously Broadway artists performing, but then there was also like policy experts and activists that like spoke at the event, things like that. Wow. Um, since then they've collaborated with a number of organisations, um, some of which include the Centre for Popular Democracy, Alliance for Quality Education, Metropolitan Centre for Research on Equity and the Transformation of Schools. Um, and they've also created a methodology of transformational collaboration that's now taught at Columbia Law School. Oh, that's awesome. Um, and transformational been, collaboration, yeah, is it? Yeah, yeah. That's cool. And it's been mobilised in partnership with several advocacy organisations across New York City. So mm. they, they sort of talk about how they're like they work with organisations mm. to do things like to bring – what they can in terms of publicity and stuff like that and their unique kind of voices as like black artists and um, working within the the Broadway community yeah. and how that can sort of affect like organisations and like things like that. Yeah, like help the systemic race and that the they've experienced and things like that and just, yeah, a, as a vehicle for change. Wow. So, yeah, um, amazing that they've been around since then. Yeah. You know, obviously people have been doing this hard work yeah. For a long time without necessarily getting as many much attention as they deserve. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, I mean, I know we talk about sort of Black Lives Matter in the frame of George Floyd's death. Yeah. Um, murder, I should say. But obviously it's been going on for a lot longer. Exactly. The Black Lives Matter movement and the oppression of um, people of colour. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, what's our theatre explained for this week? It's the Macbeth myth. Fun. Which I love. Yes. Uh, do you want me to tell you about sure. it? Sure. So basically Macbeth, the play, is cursed. Yes. That's the general assumption from the theatrical community. Oh, and so Theatre Explained, we just pick a 
theatrical term oh, yeah. each week to tell you about. I love that this week we're telling them what I we're just doing. Felt like, it just felt like we just refer to it without like much yeah. backstory. So we have, here's our segment, Theatre Explained. Yes. We should have little maybe music between each little. No, we're not doing that. <laughs> I'll put Andrew to work. Andrew, do it. So basically the Macbeth myth, if the name of the play is spoken in a theatre or before a performance, the person who said it has to leave the room or the theatre, turn around three times, spit and curse in order to lift the potential curse. Yeah. So I think, and maybe you did more research on this, but one version of the legend claims that it was the actor who originally played Lady Macbeth died during the play's very like first production yeah. and Shakespeare himself had to actually assume the role. Yeah. There's no evidence that that actually happened. No, but there's not. That's, yeah. Yeah, so that was like sort of the folklore around the original thing and then like in another 17th century production that was in Amsterdam, the actor playing King Duncan was allegedly killed in front of a live audience when a real dagger was used in place of the stage prop oh during the stabbing God. scene. There was also um, an actor, Harold Norman, who reportedly did not believe in superstition, died after his stage battle became a little too realistic while playing Macbeth in 1947. Wow. So I think there's this, just this there's idea that of, like yeah. – you yeah. know, um, and there's a thing where like you can um, you can refer to the character but not the title of the play. Yeah, so I, I wanted I to that. I wanted to talk about that because you may know that in the song "Take a Break" in Hamilton, yeah, um, Hamilton refers to he discusses the play and the characters, and he actually even says the word Macbeth, but only in relation to the character, not yeah. the play. And so it's allowed. You're allowed to say the name of the person Macbeth, but you're not allowed to say the name of the play. Macbeth. Yeah. So yeah. Oh, and there was one other. There was a really famous riot called the Astor Place Riot in New York in 1849, um, which was caused by a rivalry between America actor Edwin Forrest and English actor William Charles McCready that resulted in at least 20 deaths and over 100 um, injuries. And both actors were playing Macbeth in opposing productions at the time. Oh, my God. Yeah, so like. I didn't know about that. Yeah, I've actually heard about that before on No Such Thing as a Fish. It's There's a podcast, No Such Thing as a Fish, which is the QI Elves, uh, which is like a facts podcast. They've talked about. Because I think um, William um, Charles McCready was like quite a famous, like prolific English actor of the time. Shit, I'm going to look into that. Yeah, that's interesting. It's really interesting. That's my um, my two loves: true crime and theatre. That's merging. right. <laughs> and um, I also enjoyed that some people believe that Shakespeare brought the curse upon his own play by using authentic spells in the um, the Three Witches dialogue. Because oh, yeah. particularly, you shouldn't say the name of the play, but the Three Witches dialogue is the most cursed. Yeah, they say. Yeah. <laughs> So hilarious. And I've also heard that like one of the things that the reasons that the superstition has kind of like upheld itself over the years is Mm. that because Macbeth is a really popular Shakespeare play, often theatre companies would do it like if they were in financial trouble, like because it will get bums on seats kind of thing. Yeah, right. So instead it's like – an association is basically made between a production of Macbeth and theatres going out of business. Oh, I see. But probably no correlation. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) That's interesting. That has been Theatre Explained. Yeah. And so our next segment is Recommendations Corner. Yeah, which is just like good shit. Just good shit. That we like to recommend. What good shit have you got? Okay. Of course, I'm on YouTube stuff this week. I've been on a bit of a YouTube bend recently. That's not necessarily healthy, Ruth. (laughs) So um, my first one is the series Playbill Obsessed with Seth Rudetsky. (laughs) I love Seth Rudetsky. Yeah. So I love Seth Seth Rudetsky is a um, sort of pianist, like accompanist, like musical director, um, sort of, but also like a real amazing personality in his own right. 
Um, him and his husband have been all during COVID hosting this like stars in the house, I think yeah. it's called, that was like raising money for the actors fund. I think they do it every day. That's crazy. Something like that, like a live TV show, like every day. Imagine. And they, oh, they'll do like cast reunions and stuff like that. Anyway, for years he's had this series on playbill.com called Obsessed where he'll basically like be with a musical theatre performer and he'll just talk about sort of the things that they do that he's obsessed with and get them to like do it and then maybe be like, and they'll do it this way or whatever. Yes. Um, and yeah, it's just really great because it's, it's like one of those things where we were like, Oh, I really love the way that this person does this riff or this person does yeah. hits that this particular line, note yeah, yeah. in this way, you yeah. know? Um, so I've linked to the whole like playlist of it on YouTube. That's cool. Um, and my other one, it was just a reminder and I, I'd sort of forgotten about this, but, um, so Limon Miranda, one of the shows of his that we haven't talked about is the musical 21 Chump Street, yeah. um, which was a musical that he wrote for the podcast This American Life, the I'm N- sure NPR that we podcast. Spoke about it. I think we've mentioned it, yeah. but I had forgotten that the whole thing's on YouTube because for a long time it wasn't. Yes. You couldn't just watch it. Um, so I think it's like... Oh, it's like 15 minutes or something. Like it's not very long. Um, I can't remember exactly how long it is, but like less than 20 minutes, I think. Mm. And, um, yeah, it's based on a true story of a kid that got arrested for selling drugs. Yeah. Um, and that was the name of the story on This American Life, 21 Chump Street. And, yeah, it got turned into a musical and it is excellent. Yes. Um, yeah. So Not surprising. No, that's right. Yeah. Lindsay Mendez is in a... That's so cool. So you've yeah. linked to that as well? I've linked to that as well. Nice. Yeah. Um, I have a recommendation. <laughs> Mine is on brand. Yes. I want to recommend what I actually think is the second best movie of a musical ever. Okay. Obviously the best one is Fiddler on the Roof. Okay. And you can never convince me otherwise, but I think Evita, the film made in 1996... Is wonderful. Fight me. Are you, is your recommendation really like the thing that's to do with your topic this week? Yeah, because as I was watching it this week, I was like, geez, this is a good film. Yeah. And then I thought even if people listening are not fans of Evita, I think they should watch this film. Okay. Like I think I think that's – it is my recommendation. Yeah. The only problem is it's you can't stream it anywhere in Australia. You've got to like buy it, like rent it oh, on Apple TV I'll get or into that on my musical as well. Yeah, it's actually, so annoying. Got, it's so annoying. It's so annoying. So, Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's my recommendation. Excellent. Evita, the 1996 film. God, that's a long time ago. So old. I didn't realise. Yeah, I think, yeah. Also, it's timeless, but anyway. Yeah. I'll tell you about that. So, shall we get into it? Yeah. Do you want to talk about musicals? Yes. Who's I want first? to talk specifically about two of our favourite shows. Oh, sure, yeah. <laughs> that's right. I love, I'm, I'm very uncomfortable by... All of this exposition? Yeah, it's too much exposition. I apologise. Thank you. I am first this week. Okay, well, off you go. This week, I'm going to say that this is probably the most obscure show we've talked about so far. No, Evening Primrose for sure. Oh, fuck. That's right. Nothing I did forget is more about obscure Evening than Evening Primrose. I promise you my musical next week is more obscure. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that can be like a little mystery in her head all episode while she thinks what, what it is. What is it? What is it? Uh, anyway, this week. Yes. I'm talking to you about. Oh, I know the one you're talking about next week. Now. Okay. Yeah. I'm talking to you about Reefer Madness. Reefer Madness. Yes. Reefer Madness. I could not tell you exactly how I was introduced to this show. That's a good question. Yeah. Do I you think, remember? Oh. Because <laughs> I would have been there. Yeah. Like it would have been like we, we definitely would've both would have been, been introduced time. around the same time. Oh, I am guessing it would have been soon after the film came out. So the film came out in 2005. It would have had to be because of the film, surely. Surely. And the thing is that like. 
I was a big Veronica Mars fan, which Kristen Bell, who was yeah. the star of the film, was the star of Veronica Mars. Yeah. And I assumed that, and like a lot of our friends were as well. So I assumed that it was to do with that. Yeah. Like that that was just sort of, it was a Kristen Bell connection and that's kind of how it happened. Yes. Um, I do know that Squabble Logic, who we've talked about before, who are a great Sydney musical theatre company, um, they did it in Sydney in mid-2008 and one of our friends was in it. Um. And yes. it was a really, and I remember seeing it then. So it was definitely, but like we already liked then. it. We already liked it. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but it doesn't really get done no. very often in community theatre, most likely <laughs> due to the subject matter. It's literally called Reefer Madness. Correct. But I have to say, it is such a great show. Like, just like researching it again this week, I've been reminded of what a great show it is. Yeah. And it, I do think it should get done more, honestly. <laughs> I do. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So to give some context. I love that you're talking about this. Uh, yeah, I know. <laughs> this is so random. I really hope I'm introducing someone to this show. Who's it's never such a good show. Um, so to give some context. Um, is it a gateway show? Is it? Are we introducing kids to like drugs? Is that what yes. we're doing? We are forcing drugs upon the children. I knew it. Because we're such drug fiends, Josephine. We are drug fiends. Um, yeah, so to give some context, when it's written, we're at the turn of the millennium and there's lots of these sort of spoof shows around. So like quirky off-Broadway musicals. So we're in the era of like Bat Boy and yeah. You're in Town and yeah. those sorts of shows, right? Um, so Reefer Madness, book and lyrics by Kevin Murphy and book and, book and music by um, Dan Studney. So Dan Studney hasn't really done much other theatre. Is his last name really Studney? Studney, yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, but Kevin Murphy um, also wrote the book and lyrics of Heather's. With oh, Lawrence yeah, O'Keefe, yeah. Yeah, nice. who is also one of the composers of Legally Blonde. Yes. So that we're all kind of in that world, yeah. right? Um, Teenage world. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, and the director of Heathers was also the director of Reef of Madness, Andy Fickman, I think his name is. Um, so it is based on the 1936 cult classic film Reef of Madness, which I will talk more, a bit more about in a bit. Is but it, it is, a cult classic if it's got like a 3.6 on IMDb? <laughs> Yeah, like because it's one of those, and I'll talk more about it. But it's one of those films that people love to ha- like. It's yeah, a hate watch hate. thing, yeah, like yeah. a like you like the room, or like it's like you watch it because <laughs> yeah. it's bad yeah, kind yeah. of thing. Yeah. Um, but essentially, it was a propaganda film to teach parents about the dangers of cannabis use. Yeah. So 1936, that's when it was it was released. Man. Um. So um, in terms of the story, so we're in like middle America in 1936. And as an audience, we're going to witness a lecture about the evils of marijuana for the youth um, (laughs) by the lecturer telling a tale of the Harper affair, which is the tale of Jimmy Harper and Mary Lane. And Jimmy and Mary are a very clean cut, wholesome teenage couple. Um, Jimmy is lured to a reefer den by our villain, Jack. Um, and he has literally one hit of marijuana and his life like spirals out of What's control. What's a reefer den? Is it just like it's some like guy's ha- bedroom? the house that they like, they go and like smoke reefer house. in. Yeah, kind of. Oh my God. Yeah. Um, so yeah, he literally like has one puff and it's like, he's addicted, right? Um, and his life spirals out of control, including trying to gasp, tongue kiss Mary. Like that's a big, you know. Um, he is... Eventually involved in a hit and run car accident, which kills an old man. Oh, shit. Um, and he's on the run. In the meantime, Mary is determined to save Jimmy and comes to find him at the reefer den. 
Um, as soon as Mary is convinced to take a toke, she immediately becomes a sex-obsessed, black leather-wearing dominatrix. <laughs> and when Jimmy discovers Mary in a compromising position at this point, a mm. scuffle ensues and Jimmy is knocked out. Mary is also shot accidentally by the villain Jack, who basically places the gun in Jimmy's hand and convinces him that he was the one who murdered mm. Mary um, once oh, he regained consciousness. She's dead. Yes. Yeah. Correct. Sorry, did I? Yeah. yeah. Well, you said she, she was got shot, shot, but she's dead. Yeah, fatally, um, shot. fatally shot. <laughs> um, so Jimmy's arrested and sentenced to death. There's basically, <laughs> yeah, there's basically a bunch of other characters that I haven't mentioned that are sort of in the Reaper Den and everything, and most of them die in various circumstances. I like how you say that Jack's the villain when clearly marijuana is the oh, villain. Oh, true, true. <laughs> um, but they, they basically all sort of die in various circumstances after being ravaged by the dangers of marijuana, mm. um, except that May, Jack's lover, um, sort of is sort of our good person manages to obtain a presidential pardon from Franklin Delano Roosevelt <laughs> on the proviso that he, that Jimmy go forth and warn other children of the dangers of reefer. And that's basically the storyline. Fantastic. <laughs> yeah. So um, the original production was at the Hudson theater on Santa Monica Boulevard in Los Angeles. Hmm. It was a 99 seat theater where they initially expected a run of two weeks and it ended up becoming a runaway success and ran for a year and a half. Well, I mean, that's just like just down the road from Venice, right? Correct. Like where you can buy reefer anywhere. Exactly. Hilarious. Um, so the first off-Broadway um, preview was scheduled for September 15th. 2001. Oh, wow. Uh, it was delayed three days to September 17th after yeah. 9-11 happened, but failed to find an audience at that time, closing on October 28th. Yeah. Just to put a side note on this, and especially like given the theatre closures for COVID, I just like it really put this into crazy perspective for me. But after 9-11, which, you know, stopped the world for a period, yeah. Broadway shows were only cancelled for two days. Shit. Yeah. So they were up and running on September 13th, 2001. So like to put into perspective the fact that they've now been closed for six months and oh. like it's just, it's so unprecedented in terms of how Broadway functions. In my head I thought it had been closed down for a little longer then. Like a, yeah. Because I can't imagine after 9-11 people right? going out to the theatre. But I know. obviously they did. Well, I think there was a point in which people were. The, they the, those Broadway, it. But also those Broadway performers were playing for like no one. Yeah. But that it was important like it was like that thing of like we've got to get back to work we've got to get yeah. back to some normalcy kind of thing wow. um so reefer madness is an example oh sorry so of course audiences took a long time to get back and many shows suffered and closed prematurely after 9-11 yeah this one being one of them, yeah so reefer madness yeah. is an example of this and of course we've previously talked about last five years also being yeah. like i think it was on in october 2001 something like that yeah. and i re i truly believe both of these shows would have had longer runs in new york city had they not opened when they did yeah i agree um so the show was then adapted into a made-for-television movie for Showtime premiering in 2005. Mm -hmm. I actually hadn't realised that it was for Showtime. Like I knew that it was a film. Yeah, I, I just assumed it was like an indie sort of thing. Exactly, yeah. same. But um, because Something's it so was mainstream. Showtime, um, the film was nominated for three Emmys and oh. it won one for Best Music and Lyrics for the song Mary Jane, Mary Lane. Yes, yeah. yes, nice. Um, They've had quite a few benefit concerts over the years and live screenings of the movie musical with much of the original cast being involved. That's cool. Um, it's clear that a lot of those cast members are all still very attached to the show, which is like wonderful and attached to the material. Um, these are often when they're held, they're often held around April 20th or 420 in U US date format, which is also known <laughs> as Weed Day. Um, 
In 2019, a reading was held with an aim for a new off-Broadway revival. Oh, shit. Yeah, really? yeah. Um, the cast included Ethan Slater as Jimmy, who was um, SpongeBob. Yeah. Um, Javier Munoz and Lena Hall were all in, were both involved as well. Nice. Um, at this stage, there doesn't look to have been any more movement after that reading. Um, uh-huh. And, like, that's not a COVID thing. Like, there would have been yeah. last year. Yeah. So, from what I can see, plans have stalled for that, which is such a shame, I think. Such a shame. Yeah. So, the show um, changed quite a bit between the LA run and the New York run and then changed quite a bit from the New York run to the film. Um, and the version that's available to license now, like, as a community theatre production, incorporates a lot of the film changes. Oh, cool. Like, into the show. And I believe that they then made quite a few changes like last to the, when they did the reading last year. Um, but I guess those just remain unknown yeah, at this stage know. because we don't really know. But like I saw Ethan Slater sing um, a new song at a, at a benefit thing that was from that. So um, yeah, but it's a shame because we don't really know what they are and I guess we won't until they do another production. Yeah. Um, so that original 1936 film, Reefer Madness, is basically the same plot as what I told you guys before. It's just not ironic. It just sounds like a banana. <laughs> yes, that's right. It just sounds like such a bananas film. Um, it is bananas. So it's like was kind of like one of the most popular like midnight movies, and that was that was sort what of does that mean midnight? You know, movie? like they would show them at midnight as oh, like a, like on TV. Like you could no, like you would go to the cinema, oh. like which again was that kind of thing of hmm. um yeah, like crappy cult films. Yeah, right. You know, like yeah. bad movies, like yeah. and you would go and you would quote along in kind of in the same way that people do with like Rocky Horror and yeah. stuff like that. Sure, got it. Um. So, yeah, that was one of those, one of those so bad it's good films. <laughs> um, alternative titles when it was released, like the original was released, were um, Tell Your Children, which is the name of the film that in the movie they're showing. Oh, uh, yes. Um, uh, Doped Youth and the Burning Question. They, so in different <laughs> states it was released under different titles and cool. those were all, yeah. This is the craziest thing I found out. The stage production yes. was choreographed by none other than Paula Abdul. What? What? How random is that? Why? And from my research, it's the only stage show she's ever done. I wonder if she was just like I so passionate she, well, about it. Maybe she just knew someone. They were in LA, I guess. Like that wow. would have been part of it. That's How so bizarre. Random. She didn't do the film, she just did a stage show. Yeah. It's and it, from what I can see, like it's the only <laughs> stage thing. That I can't she's imagine ever like Paula Abdul's touch on Reefer Madness. Yeah, it's so weird. It's so weird, <laughs> but I love it. What a fun fact! Yeah, that's cool. That's really cool. <laughs> um, so Christian Campbell, who played Jimmy in all incarnations of the show, from LA mm. to New York to the film, the film. he's actress Neve Campbell's brother. Neve so, Campbell was in the film too, wasn't yeah, she? Yeah, so she was in the film, and um, I, and that might be kind of a dated reference, Neve Campbell, for like some of oh, our yeah. listeners, but like oh, she guys, was, I know she was in the film, the TV show Party of Five. She was um, in Scream. Yeah, was she in The Craft as well? Oh yeah, she was yeah. the like the innocent girl. Yeah, right, in the craft. so yeah, so she actually actually appears in the um, film adaptation of this singing the song Old Five and Dime, a song in the diner that's at the beginning of the film, which in the stage show is just sung by the narrator. Yeah, yeah. Um, but they sort of turned it into that just for her. And because she was like the biggest name in the film really at the time. Yeah, which is interesting because, I mean, now you've got Kristen Bell plus Alan Cumming. Yeah. I mean, Alan Cumming I think has always had like 
He's been his level of fame is like always kind of been. Yeah. But yeah, she was like very famous at the time. Definitely. And she was the reason that her brother got involved. Basically, like Dan Studney, the book writer and music writer. That name. <laughs> it's a good name, isn't it? <laughs> um, he his like day job was working like on crews of television shows. Oh, and cool. he was working on Party of Five and was telling her about the show. And she was like, My, My brother, brother would be perfect for this. That's so nice. And that was how and that and so yeah, she's always sort of been connected. My siblings would never say such a nice <laughs> thing about me. <laughs> and so Christian Campbell and his wife um, were also producing the reading that happened last year. Nice. So they're like very dedicated to this show. And he's great as Jimmy, like I have to say. Well, he's got that look too. He's yeah. got that like, like all-American. The, the most pronounced dimples you've ever seen. Totally. Like, yeah. yeah. Um, so Kevin Mur- Murphy, the composer, has done a lot of writing for television, yeah. including a stint as head writer of the show Desperate Housewives for the first four seasons. That probably explains why all yes. the <laughs> – so a side fact about Desperate Housewives, Josephine fully read my mind just then. A side fact about Desperate Housewives is that the episode titles are all references to Sondheim songs. Yes. And now I'm like, well, that's probably the reason. Remember you talked about this in our very first episode? Did I? Because a lot of them are like Sunday in the Park with George references. Yeah. Like most of them are. For sure. He's just a massive Sondheim nerd. Of course. Yeah. Um, the DVD that they released of the film, when you got it, it smelled like chocolate brownies. Shit. Isn't that? crazy wonder how it was like a marketing thing yeah they just put like a scent on it like one of those scratches yeah so the idea was like pop brownies right like (laughs) it would smell like a pop brownie that's awesome yeah which i thought was cool um and also in the film um there is lots of hidden 420s yeah nice so obviously 420 being like a weed symbol kind of thing like often there'll be like the the number of a house will be 420 or like we're in the when they're in the church like the list of psalms yeah sure just 420 kind of thing stuff like that cool um so a couple of things i want to talk about um is it a one joke show or like you know does it yeah but it they tell the joke in many different funny ways yeah I think that it is – I think it is too, but it is like – and it's like proper camp. Yeah. It's like really well done. Yeah. And I think – I think I have to say like for the stage show, I think it has to be done really well for the show to work. Yeah. Um, you I need like incredibly good comic actors. You do. And it, I think, yes, it is one joke, but also like you don't expect it to get so very dire and bloody. Yeah. It's almost like Little Shot where you're like, oh, yeah, everyone dies at the yeah, end. Yeah, exactly. It's pretty – It's that it's, like over-the-top yeah, sort like of style. Yeah, schlock almost. And, and I also have to say that like to explain like the the sort of language of the film is all that like gee willikers you know yeah. like all that kind yeah. of thing gee whiz, like mister. yeah exactly yeah. all that yeah. sort of language which just really adds to sort of the atmosphere yes. um <laughs> i also think it's like one of the very few shows that i'm aware of that can really harness like an entire subculture like weed culture is kind of its own yeah. thing right Definitely, yeah. and that's why i'm surprised it doesn't get done more because i'm sure that that's why the initial run was so successful in la as we talked about yeah and it's like now we're living in a world where like in america like weed is legal in a lot of states yeah. it's like this it could have a whole other life i reckon oh, yeah and imagine now in a world where yeah cannabis is legal in lots of places yeah this is, this is hilarious fodder that, exactly yeah looking at a time that was so different yeah and I just have to say cannibal, cannabis should be legalised and anyone who is in jail for cannabis, um, should be anything instantly should released. be instantly released. Yeah. Just a side note to say that. Um, so in Patriarchy. Terms of, yeah. So in terms of gateway songs and what you can listen to and what you can say, mm. so um, 
the album that is on Spotify was a two-disc album that was released, which has both the film soundtrack yes. and the original Los Angeles cast recording. So um, It's really great. Yeah. <laughs> um, the film soundtrack is probably the version to listen to in terms of the songs are a bit more updated. Yes. And like, also so for the example. the cast is really good. Yeah. Kristen Bell was in it in New York and she was in it in the film but not in the LA one. So, like, yeah. it's different actress there. There's different – there's lots of differences, differences in that way. Yeah. Um, the only thing with the film soundtrack is that it's not – they didn't, like, go into a studio and record it. It's like a rip of the audio from yes. the film. So you do get, like, some random dialogue and stuff like that. that you I quite like that about it. Me too. Mm. Um, but, yeah, so that's on Spotify um, and I'll link to that. So Gateway Songs, I'm going to suggest – Romeo and Juliet, yeah, nice. which is at the beginning of the film, which is such a great, and the show, such a great song. So basically Jimmy and Mary are learning about Romeo and Juliet at school Aww. and they sing a song and I just have to quote a lyric from it because it's just so great. So it's this duet that they do really sweet and they're like, um, I can't wait to read the ending. I can't either, but I'm sure it turns out real swell. I bet Romeo marries his Juliet. They have a baby and make lots of friends. That's probably the way the play ends. <laughs> It's just like make lots of friends. I know, and the whole language of the like the yeah. lyrics in the show are really clever, like that. Like it's yeah. such a cute song. Yeah, um, what so Romeo and Juliet. Um, listen to Jesus, Jimmy. Yes, which is when Jimmy hallucinates. Listen to Jesus, Jimmy. Um, Jimmy hallucinates, and Jesus comes to tell him not to smoke. Yes, marijuana. <laughs> um, and it's just it's really great. Um, and then Little Mary Sunshine is as I said when Mary has a toke of marijuana turns into and a turns into slut. like a dominatrix. Yeah. That's like her kind of alter ego. Um, and it's a great song too. So nice. I've suggested all of those. My suggestion is if you can get your hands on the film Definitely. to watch the film um, because it is. Can you get your hands on the film? So this is the issue. So not legally in Australia. I don't, you can buy the DVD. Okay. You can do that. I recommend you do that. Yeah. It's worth it. Yeah. I mean, you'll probably, again, have to order it from overseas, but mm. you can buy the DVD. Um, but the film is, like, really great proper camp fun. In a way, I think it works better as a movie maybe than it did on stage because yeah. you can really, like, illustrate a lot of things that you can't really do on stage. I still really love the stage show. Yeah. Like, I remember really enjoying it when I saw it. Um, if you, As we were just saying, if you like Little Shop, like, this is totally up your alley. Yeah, totally. But it is – it's so funny. I mean, there's some great lines in it. And some of the songs are really catchy as well. Like I said, like, it's the guy who co-wrote Heathers. Yeah. Like, oh, they're all good songs. Yeah, exactly. I like Reefer Madness is my favourite song. The opening? Yeah. I, just, I only didn't put it in because I always put the opening song in. I know, but it's just so good. <laughs> yeah. That's Reefer Madness. That was good. Thank you. Oh, no. I almost I don't want to, like – I don't want to talk about mine now. <laughs> We're just going to really change the mood and really polarise listeners, I think. Okay. But I think everyone would universally love Reefer Madness. Yeah. You like think? Unless, unless you think marijuana is the devil's herb. Well, this is the thing I have to, to say. If you are a devout Christian, there may be some things in it that you find a little offensive as well. Well, I mean, Jesus shows up, so that's not offensive, the is other, it? The other line I love, there's a song called Lonely Pew when Mary's like, oh, Jimmy's left me and I don't know why. And she goes, um, the wafers now don't taste so great. They don't transubstantiate. Oh, shit. <laughs> oh, it's so good. Anyway. I hope, yeah. Okay. On to your show. I love any use of the word transubstantiation right? songs. Right, as a lyric. That's right. Um, Tom Lyra. <laughs> anyway, okay, today I'm going to talk to you about Evita. 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 Of course, so we know Jesus Christ Superstar is amazing and it's Andrew Loeb Webber's best musical for sure, but I think Evita is a close second. 
Pass me the shaker. I know that you disagree Pass me the shaker. Ruth Ruth has crossed her arms. She's looking cranky. It's actually. Is it the first time I haven't liked a show that you've done? Yeah, I think so. Actively? Yeah. I don't really like this show. I think Evita is the first Andrew Lloyd Webber musical I ever like met. Okay, yeah. Yeah, I think so through the concept album first and then through the film, I somehow owned it on VHS when I was really young. Like we just had it. The the film? Yeah, the film. Okay. Um, So it's just always been in my world. Yeah. um, The musical. So here's the plot. It's the ultimate rags to riches story, really. So it's loosely based on the true life story of Ava Perón, who was born into poverty in rural Argentina um, in the 30s, I believe, like 32 maybe. She moves to Buenos Aires at the age of 15 to become an actress. She basically, according to the musical, sleeps her way to a charity event where many bigwigs are in attendance. She meets General Juan Perón, who is on the political rise. They team up and basically become the most powerful political couple in Argentina. He becomes the president. Um, she is sort of like just completely in like the people of Argentina are in love with her. She's quite a revolutionary. She's a feminist figure. Um, the working people all, all adore her. The upper class do not adore her. And she rules with her husband until she dies of cancer at the age of 33. She is insanely popular in a world that is like heavily dominated by men. She's just a badass getting shit done. That's the musical. Yeah. The plot. So some background. Uh, this musical was originally Tim Rice's concept and I'm starting to sense a bit of a theme that Tim Rice is the one with all the ideas. And also that you just are a bit of a sucker for Tim Rice. I think I am. Yeah. Like this is my third Tim Rice yeah. show. Wow. I didn't actually make that correlation. Yeah. So just like with Chess and many more of his collaborations, this is his idea. So basically Tim Rice says that he was listening to a radio program about Ava Perón in 1973 and began sort of like investigating her story and just researching. Yeah. He was also a, an avid stamp collector <laughs> and he had in his stamp collection Argentinian stamps with her face on it oh. but just didn't know much more about her than that. Yeah. So he went to these serious lengths to sort of research her story. He even travelled to Buenos Aires like to investigate the the deal. Um, so when he actually proposed the idea of a musical to Andrew Lloyd Webber, he was rejected. Andrew Lloyd Webber decided to write the musical Jeeves instead. Oh, yeah. So for context, Andrew Lloyd Webber had just – had already written Joseph and Jesus Christ Superstar. Um, so he had – like he'd had lots of success but then he had a really serious flop with the musical Jeeves. Yeah. Um, which was a musical based on the P.G. Wodehouse character. So anyway, after the failure of Jeeves, Andrew Lloyd Webber went back to Rice and they got started on Evita. Some say the musical is based on the biography entitled The Woman with the Whip, which is written by Mary Main. It's a highly critical account of Ava Peron and her okay. husband. Like it's it's a really anti what is called Peronism, um, really anti. Also like for a bit of context, and I'll go into this later, it was written at a time – um, of military dictatorship in Argentina. The and biography like, was. Yeah, yeah, and there was a lot of anti-sentiment like, towards the Perons. So Tim Rice was quite influenced by that. The influence of this biography is not credited by any of the writers. Ooh, yeah. But because like Tim Rice said he really enjoyed the biography and but it, I don't know, there's a lot of implications that it was it was uh, strong. What am I trying to say? Influence. Yeah. So but anyway, they just never like admitted to it. Yeah, I think that's yeah. exactly right. So I found this really interesting because I always knew about this character but didn't know the reasons behind it. Right, Tim Rice created the character of Che 
to serve as a narrator and Greek chorus. So throughout the musical, you have like the story of Ava Peron, like sort of her meteoric rise, but there's this character, Che, who is like the narrator. He just sort of like, he's like the everyman. So he just like bears witness, right? Yeah, like he's just there. Of, yeah. yeah. But like he also, you know, he's some, he's not just on the periphery. He's there in, in the moment as well. He's like a, a waiter or he's like a janitor or yeah. whatever. Um, so that character was created to be the Greek chorus, although Tim Rice had recently sort of gotten into a, a Che Guevara moment. Um, and Che Guevara was Argentinian as well. Yeah. He didn't necessarily intend that the character would be based on him despite inserting like biographical details that definitely mirror Che Guevara's right. life. Um, when Hal Prince later became involved, which we'll talk about later, he insisted that the actors portraying Che use Guevara as a role model. Right. So like it, it, it's supposed to be Che Guevara. Yeah. Which is so weird to me. I yeah. Think. I don't know. Anyway, in the film, the character sort of returns to a more anonymous role, but in yeah. earlier iterations, it was quite obvious that he yeah, was. Yeah, like he's dressed he's as Che dressed Guevara. He's dressed as Che Guevara. Yeah, yeah totally. Um, okay, so basically then, Angelo Weber and the conductor Anthony Bowles presented the musical um, at the Sidmonton Festival before making a recording with the Philharmonic Orchestra. And like Jesus Christ Superstar, they decided to do a concept album before they sort of staged. Okay. So this started as a concept album. Um, it starred Colm Wilkinson as Che. Oh. I know. And Julie Covington as Eva. And it yeah. was a huge success. Yeah. Like the concept album was just so successful. It sold better than Jesus Christ Superstar everywhere except in the States. Wow. So it, it never just – it really never took off in the in the US. Mm. But in the UK, Australia, Europe and South America, like everyone loved it. Yeah. It was so successful. In my opinion, that recording has dated okay. in a way that... I don't think I have ever listened to the concept oh, album. Oh, really? Well, I don't know. Yeah. Maybe. Maybe. Was that what you listened to growing up? Yeah. Oh, like okay. I knew of that one. Um, I don't even know what I would have had. Yeah, it's interesting because I was listening to it again, obviously, this week. And, uh, yeah, I think it's dated particularly in the manner of its orchestrations. Yeah, which is common, right? It's so common. Although, like, I don't think the Jesus Christ Superstar concept album has dated. Not in this way. So it's okay. it's weird. And I'll I'll talk about why in a second. Um, of course, Colm is wonderful. <laughs> of I course. recommend you listening to him. Like, why not? So some productions. Basically, Angelo Weber sent like a cassette of the of the concept album to Hal Prince and was like, What do you reckon? Yeah. So Hal Prince got on board to produce he famously agreed saying, quote, any rock opera that begins with a funeral can't be all that bad because <laughs> the show starts with. Oh, I love how. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> the show starts with um, Ava Peron's funeral yeah. and then it sort of goes back into her life. So rehearsals began for the first stage production on the West End in 1978 and it opened at the Prince Edward Theatre um, in 1978 and closed in 1986 after 3,176 performances. Incredible. Right? The original cast included Elaine Page as Eva and yep. David Essex as Che. So this original West End production was clearly like hugely successful with like popular audiences. Yeah. But critics were divided. And actually that's sort of pretty much a Vita. Like yeah. critics are always divided over it. There's there's not a consensus that it's sort of a really great musical. It's, it continues to this day. Critics are always divided. Um the production was nominated for four Olivier Awards, though. It won Best New Musical, Best Performance for Elaine Page. Mm. Um, so that's pretty good. Like, yeah. it must have been okay. 
Um, okay, then it opened at the Broadway Theatre in 1979 and it closed in 1983 after 1,567 oh, performances. Very good run. Yeah, so another good run. The original Broadway cast included Patti Lapone. Of course. Of course, as Eva. Uh, Mandy Patinkin as Che. Yep. And the weirdest one, Bob Gunton as Perron, as yeah. Juan Perron. So fans of Shawshank Redemption like I am will know <laughs> Bob Gunton as Warden Norton and I have to just pause and say I never thought I'd be able to talk about my love of, of Shawshank, Shawshank yes. on this podcast. But Very here is true. the end. Yeah. That's right. So for those wondering why I'm talking about Evita, it's for that reason. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's because I love it. Um, so Patty Lapone interestingly has stated about her time in Evita, here's the quote, gosh, she's so snarky, isn't she? <laughs> quote, Evita was the worst experience of yeah. my life. I was screaming my way through a part that could only have been written by a man who hates women. Yeah. And I that, had no that support. Quote yes, could only right? have been written by a man who hates women. That gets quoted a lot. Well, about yes. Andrew Lloyd Webber, yeah. Um, and I had no support for the producers who wanted a star performance on stage but treated me as an unknown backstage. It was like Beirut and I fought like a banshee. Wow. <laughs> I know, fuck. Tell us how you feel, Patty. But also like, yes, that yeah. is how Andrew Lloyd Webber writes yeah. female parts. Yeah. Like he hates them. Um, so the Broadway production was nominated for 10 Tonys. Mm. It won Best Musical, Best Score, Best Book, Best Actress for Patti Lapone, Best Actor for Mandy Patinkin and Best Direction for Hal and Best Lighting Design. Wow. It like swept the ball. Yeah. Huge, really huge. Um, so then a couple of other productions. The original Australian production opened at the Adelaide Festival Theatre on the 30th of April 1980. It starred Jennifer Murphy as Eva. Yeah. Who was the you know, was a teacher of mine at uni? Patty Lapone took over the title role in mid nineteen eighty one during the Sydney run after Jennifer Murphy left the production. Yeah, isn't that weird? I know it's she got so, sick. I think. I think she did. Yeah, but like I think she had to have surgery. Maybe I think yeah. Like I mean, was it similarly with Patty? Yeah, it's like it like fucks it people's voices voice. if they don't know what they're doing. Like mm. it, it's a very punishing role. Yeah, punishing. Okay, so it's since had a Spanish, Mexican, Brazilian, Italian production as well. Not like those weren't all Copros. Those were four different productions. Um, It's had a European tour. It's had US tours. It's had UK tours. Um, A Broadway revival happened in 2012 that notably starred Ricky Martin as Che. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. This production he's was, done quite a few musicals and stuff. Well, yeah. I mean, he's he's a musical man. Yeah. Um, that production was moderately successful. It was nominated for three Tonys but didn't win any. I remember I had to pick between um, – some years ago I was, I was on a trip to America and I was going to be in Chicago for two days, right? Yeah. And I was like, well, I can see a show while I'm in town. And I had to pick between seeing the national tour of Evita yeah. or a play at Steppenwolf theatre company the and you famed, chose the play. I, I chose Steppenwolf yeah I didn't say it I love that you even considered maybe going to see Evita because well, you I don't think, like it I think like, maybe Ricky Martin was, was even in, that in the tour? tour oh cool god I don't know if I'm talking out of turn there but yeah, yeah well, I but don't know I either. love Steppenwolf and I just wanted to see something yeah, that they'd fair. done um yeah we'll talk about my opinions later yeah I do want to hear opinions but not yet <laughs> so um, how Prince returned to direct the latest Australian production before he died. Yeah. This production starred the always perfect Tina Arena. I didn't see this production and I kick myself every mm. day for not going to see it. I did it. see it. The, um, there was also like a much talked about limited Broadway revival last year starring Saleh, um, Saleh Pfeiffer. Was it, it, wasn't, it was not Broadway. It was just like the city centre thing, right? 
Yeah, but they sort of – well, it was like a professional production. But no – oh, I don't know if I it think was, it was Encores. I don't think it no, was – No, it wasn't Encores. It wasn't on Broadway. Oh, wasn't it? No, I don't think so. How big's the city centre? Like two and a half. It's massive. Oh. 2,600 seats or something. Doesn't that mean it's on Broadway? Yeah, but it's like, uh, yeah, they don't sort of consider them to be like a Broadway run though. It's oh, well, like because it's limited. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, it wasn't for Encore, so I don't actually know who produced it mm. then, like what the purpose of it yeah. was because it was quite limited. Yeah. Um. But, yeah, this – I've heard Soleil Pfeiffer was stunning. Yeah. And so I've actually what I'm going to link to in the show notes is a clip, like show clips from that production. Yeah. Because she's really beautiful. But I think the biggest problem with that production is um, the director decided to cast like a teenager as the 15-year-old yeah. Ava Peron. And I think that was a mistake. Like you, that song Buenos Aires is sung by the 15-year-old. Right. And it just didn't have like. Well, you want Gravitas as the first, like that's our that's basically our first introduction, right? Yeah. yeah. So I don't know. Anyway, watch the clips and I think they're worth watching. Yeah. It's just an interesting choice. Also, it's sort of the first time that um, Ava's been played by a person who's sort of the right age. Oh, Because, I mean, she died when she was 33, but wow. usually she's played by a woman who is older than yes. that. Yes, yeah. Because they want to show, like, really communicate that gravitas, but yeah. she wasn't that old. Yeah, interesting. You know, so she did a whole lot of shit in her 20s that most people don't do in their lives. Okay, it's time to talk about the film. Yeah. I love this film. I really love it. I think it's really well made. Yeah. Like I just think it's a really well made movie musical. Um, it was directed by Alan Parker who's known for the most random list of films. He's known for Fame, Mississippi Burning, Bugsy Malone, Angela's Ashes and The Life of David Gale. That is a random list of films. The most random. Yeah. Like yeah. I, I couldn't even – I had to like cross-reference that be like, are you sure? Yeah. Anyway, he actually recently passed away which yeah. is very sad. Um Interestingly, there was a talk. There was talk of a film in the seventies after the original production, like the West End production, happened, and it was supposed to be directed by Ken Russell. And a number of stars were attached to it at various points, including Liza Minnelli and Barbara Streisand as Eva, Elton John and Barry Gibb as Jay. Oh. <laughs> I know. And then Russell left the project when it was decided that Elaine Page should pay Eva for the film. Right. So, ha! That's yeah. how shit Elaine Page is. Oh, <laughs> oh no, poor sorry, Elaine. Sorry. Um, so it was then really in production hell until 1996. Mm. So then Antonio Banderas was the first person to be cast in the film. Michelle Pfeiffer, Glenn Close and Meryl Streep were all considered for Eva. Yeah. But then Madonna sent a four-page letter to Alan Parker begging for the role. Mm. Like she begged him. And apparently there's a whole lot of back and forth where he was like, um, this can't be a Madonna project. This has to still be my project. Yeah. And if you're going to be a part of it, then you can't be Madonna. Like yeah. you have to be just a person who is portraying a character. And so there was a lot of back and forth about that. And apparently Andrew Lloyd Webber was like, she can't sing it, mm. which is probably true. Yeah. Um, but – she underwent like extensive training to play the role. Yeah. And you can hear a, like a vast improvement in the quality of her voice well, in and, this recording. And for the sound to be more correct for That's it, That's right. Because, right? well, I mean, I'm going to talk about the music, but the, the range of styles that's required in this show, because it's not just legit musical theatre, because there are times when um, Evita has to be quite a legit singer. Yeah. There are also moments where it's quite poppy, where it gets pretty rocky. Yeah. Um, the range is just insanity. Like yeah. Buenos Aires has like, I think it's a low G or maybe even an F. Yeah. Whereas like some of her other, I think Rainbow High, it has like a like an F or a G. Belted. Like it's a really yeah. high, it's just a huge range of this role. 
So anyway, I think Madonna was excellent okay. in the film. Yeah, I think she was really great. I think she had the quality that – I think she just had that sort of desperation that the character needed. So I think she was really able to portray that. I think she yeah. acted the shit out of it basically. I don't know whether her voice was right. It's interesting though because like we've had lots of conversations about movie musicals in the past where yeah. we're like – who cares? Who cares? Cast someone who can sing the role. I know, I know. Like, and and I would have to say that I agree. I think she did act it well. Yeah. And I actually, I what I will say about the film is I think it is a very good film adaptation of a musical, it's a very which good. is very rare. Exactly. Um, and but I that's think why that they, I think it's the second and I, best. And I also really like Antonio Banderas. He's in excellent. It. Yeah, I really like Antonio Banderas generally. I think he's a very talented. <laughs> Me person. too. Me too. Um, but he's a great Che. And but I will say that like. It's like, okay, yes, she was, I guess, good in the role that they made that into the film for her yes. kind of thing. But that isn't the role. No, like, it's not. And the keys aren't the keys. No, <laughs> like, like, everything, everything was down like yeah. multiple tones. Like yeah. it's very obvious when you listen to the Broadway cast recording as opposed to the film. Yeah. Um, but yes, and I'm the first one to really hate on film casting of, of musicals, like totally. But I think, I don't know, I still think she works. Yeah, in a way, it's kind of a whole different beast, though. It is. It is very different. Like you can't you can't watch the film and and think that it is representative of the musical. Yeah, definitely. Although, like I will say, what it does for setting and the scope of of like a country is really clever. Mm. Like it, it really gives you that and sense visually, of visually. I think it's a really great yeah. film as well. It has yeah. it dated too. Like considering it was nineteen. Yeah, I should rewatch it. Actually, I haven't seen it in years. It's really good. Yeah. It is really good. So, um, some other things like Jonathan Price plays Juan Peron. Which I think is a really random choice, but he's great. And once again, like Jonathan Price being cast as someone like not the ethnicity that he is. Well, this is a that's a good segue. Let's yeah. talk about that right now. Um, I'll come back to the film, but let's talk about the fucking whitewashing oh, of Evita constantly. Because what is actually disgusting is that it is more rare to find a Latino person cast in in yeah. the, in the roles in this musical. Yeah. And there are no white people in this musical. Like, it shouldn't be. Yeah. Like everyone should be Argentinian. Yeah. So why on earth? It, Con Wilkinson, what? Yeah. Mandy Patinkin, Patty what? Lepone, yeah. Patty, like, what? Yeah. I don't understand. Madonna? And it's honestly only in the last couple of years that someone like Soleil Pfeiffer or, like, I think the woman who pl- – well, Ricky Martin, obviously, Ricky is Martin, yep. Hispanic. And, like, I think the woman who was Ava in that production, she would played it in London yes. as well. And I think – Yeah, she, quite she a was actually accent, Argentinian. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. that's rare. Incredibly rare. It's and that so, was like a big deal. I know. It's Ridiculous. really disgusting. It's actually, I think the hugest problem, a lot of people think the problem with this show is the portrayal of, of Evita. I think the biggest problem is the way that they've been casting it since mm. the beginning. Because it's like no one's shying away from the fact that this is Argentina. And yeah. she she's like an icon in Argentina. What, why are we? Yeah. <laughs> Fucking hell. Yeah. Anyway, back to the film. Um Angela Weber and Tim Rice wrote a new song for the movie. It's called You Must Love Me, which sort of happens towards the end of the story um, just before she dies. It's actually a really beautiful, vulnerable song. I agree. It's it's actually one it. of my favourite songs yeah. in the show. It's, it's I'm the same. It's really beautiful. It, um, the film itself received pretty mixed reviews, but it was a commercial success. Yeah. So it received five Golden Globe, Golden Globe nominations and it won three for Best Motion Picture, Musical or Comedy, Best Actress for Madonna and Best Original Song for wow, You she, Must Love Me. she won Best Actress. She did indeed. Wow. Um, at the Academy Awards, the film won uh, Best Original Song, 
for You Must Love Good. Me. And it, that, was, it deserved that. It did. It was nominated yeah. in four other categories. So it was nominated for Best Editing, Best Cinematography. Um, oh, my stupid water has like wrecked <laughs> my uh, – Best Design and Best Sound. Yeah. Um, and actually the Best Sound thing, that cast – the recording of the film, the film soundtrack, yeah. is so good. Yeah. It is so well produced. Um, Madonna also sang You Must Love Me at the Academy Awards that oh, yeah. year. Yeah. I'm going to link to my favourite clip from the movie, which is Antonio Banderas singing Oh, What a Circus. Because yes. it's a banger. And he's really hot. So hot. So hot. And he's got like his shirt sleeves rolled up and you can see his chest hair. Oh. Yeah. Oh, stop it. Okay. Moving on to the music. I know that I throw a lot of shade at Andrew Lloyd Webber. But I think he might be a genius. <laughs> I love that like this week is the week that you've <laughs> <laughs> Well, just like musically and also we know that we know that Jesus Christ Superstar is amazing, but musically this this is really stunning. Evita is really lovely. Can I very quickly interject with Please. my so it's not that I don't like this show because you, just you know said me. You, don't. you know me, I like every show, right? Yeah. I can find something to like. Like a lot of of his other shows, I love like half this show. But yes. the problem is that I just – the stuff that he chooses then to put in, stuff like the music at the funeral at the beginning and a lot of those like yeah. – a lot of that like kind of interstitial music that the ensemble has to sing and stuff like that. And that's where I think the movie works well because obviously they cut a lot of that yeah. stuff out. You don't like that stuff. No, I find it – it's often – like it's discordant on purpose often. Yes. Like all that stuff I find – Annoying. Yeah. The songs, he knows how to write a fucking pop song. He can write a song, yeah. He can really write a song. So I love a lot of those main songs in the show. Yeah. Um, And, like, I've done this. Like, I assistant directed a production of this show, so I know it fairly well. Yes. And, um, yeah, and that was kind of my biggest takeaway is, like, it was just, like, yeah, all the random stuff that happens in between. Again, like, musical, like, because it's sung through. Yeah, it's a rock opera. Um, It's, like. All that stuff that's just basically would have be would be dialogue in a book musical. Yeah. That's what I don't like about it's, it. That's a really interesting point. I think that's a really popular opinion too. Yeah. Because like in terms of the music, stylistically it's really broad. Yeah. So yes, what Ruth's talking about, like there are moments where the ensemble sing like basically opera but it's not pretty opera. It's so dissonant. Yeah. Like you've just got clashing notes everywhere and – Sometimes it's in Spanish. Like it's it's not necessarily really accessible music at yeah, times. Yeah, I a hundred percent agree. Yeah, so I just I don't really I don't really you don't see the, the point. purpose. Yeah, yeah, that's totally fine, yeah. and I think that's that's yeah. true. Um, I think the music is really clever. Yeah, um, it has a huge eclectic range of styles, um, and I think a lot of those styles are timeless. So there's like a few choral moments like we've just talked about, the Requiem for Evita at the beginning mm. particularly, so that's what you were talking about, Ruth. Um, it's got lots of cool Latin influences though, particularly in the rhythms. Like it's yeah. highly rhythmic yeah. in, in those big like banger songs. So there are a few ballads as well, yep. um, like classic music theatre ballads. There's also some rock music chucked in there, like sort of, you know, 70s sort of rock that mm. you, you hear. Um, and like I'd mentioned before, the orchestrations in the film version are particularly beautiful. Interestingly, I despise the song Don't Cry For Me, Argentina. Yeah, interesting. It's I think it's cheese on toast. I think it's all actually about the um, lyrics. Yeah. You're laughing at my phrasing, aren't the, you? The phrase cheese on toast makes me very happy. <laughs> I got it from my husband. I love it. Um, so I don't like Don't Cry For Me, Argentina, but I love the song Oh, What A Circus. Yes. Which is the exact same melody. Yeah. <laughs> so basically I'm a fucking hypocrite. 
And of course, because it's Andrew Lloyd Webber, those melodies are just repeated throughout the show. Yeah. And so you do walk Very out yeah. going, I know X, Y, and Z melodies from yeah. the show. Yeah. You would you would watch this show once and be able to sing the melody of Don't Cry for Me, yeah. Argentina, because it's throughout the show the it's whole It's also, time. I think, very much about the performance of the person playing Ava at that moment. That's very true. Yeah. Because that's a hard moment to sell. Yeah. <laughs> it's a really hard moment to sell. Absolutely. I don't know. I just always find it like, eh. I also hate, this is so stupid of me, I hate when these songs get picked up as pop songs then and become yeah. popular. Like, Ugh. Bizarre. I, why do I hate that? I'm such an awful person. No, but like it's just because also then you hear it a thousand times. I don't and want it, to hear it, it becomes like on the radio. Not, it becomes not <clears throat> special, you yeah, know? exactly. Okay, I want to talk a bit about the controversy and the historical accuracy of the musical. Yeah. And we've talked about this in many other musicals. I don't necessarily know why we, we want to hold musicals to some high standard of being historically yeah. accurate. So true. I don't understand necessarily, but some people have a problem. And Please go and do your own research. <laughs> like if you see a show and it makes you want to think about that time, yeah, then please go, go and research. Here's an opening. So people are really divided about, about this very point and about the true impact of Eva Peron. What's interesting in Argentina is that she is seriously deified. Mm. Like she's adored even now, to this you day. Mean? Well, yeah. now. So then when she, when she was in power and when she died and now. Yeah. And I'll talk about why they, those are, yeah. So it's been pretty much 60 years since she died and she's still like a, just an icon. Some historians though credit this status to her early death, mm. you know, they, um, that thing. But she was also by all accounts very charitable, really visible to the people. She was a symbol of the poor and working classes. So Kind of like a princess die. Yeah. It, yeah. I, that's exactly. It, yeah. Yeah. Um, some critics think that the musical is too sympathetic towards the Perrons and some think that it is too demonising of the yeah, Perrons, right. which is like, okay, how can we <laughs> make up your fucking mind? Make up yeah. your mind. I tend to think that the elements of the story that are added for dramatic effect are, are not true and are also not sympathetic to her. Like I think this musical is not very sympathetic yeah. towards her and like who she was as a, a, the real her. I have not done oodles of research, so I'm not a historian. Um, there are accounts that she didn't actually sleep her way to the top like right. being an actress in the 40s probably is where people got the idea that she was also like a slut. Yeah, right. I don't know. So I, I'm pretty shitty about that. Like apparently she didn't actually travel to Buenos Aires with like a married singer. She travelled there with her mother. Like, right. Just stuff like that that like we don't, yeah. we don't need to think of her as some sort of femme, you know, anyway. I also like I don't give a fuck if she slept with every person in yeah. Argentina. Good on her. Like <laughs> at a time when women were so oppressed – particularly in what is a famously conservative country in yeah. the 40s and 50s, she somehow became this powerful positive icon, good on her. She was also really young. Like, yeah, that's so it's, young. That's enough for me. So yeah. whatever. Maybe you care about whether she slept with all these men or not. I don't. Yeah, exactly. Um, also, yeah, like I mentioned before, Tim Rice was writing this musical at a time where there was a military dictatorship in Argentina and there was a lot of sentiment against her and her husband. So I think the musical is coloured by that sort okay. of sentiment. Um, I love this quote from an Argentinian journalist whose name is Thomas Eloy Martinez about the myth and mystique of Eva Perón and Che Guevara. Uh, quote, Che as well as Evita symbolise certain naive but effective beliefs the hope for a better world, a life sacrificed on the altar of the disinherited, the humiliated, the poor of the earth. They are myths which somehow reproduce the image of Christ. And 
I was doing lots of research about sort of how people see her and she is just like she's almost been like what yeah, is the, like yeah, she's a saint. Yeah, it is like that. And it's, it's a very, yeah. it's a very um, religious country, and so they really take that very seriously. Yeah, they love her. So, as a result of the musical, actually, a number of historians wrote books defending her character because mm. they really felt like the musical had done her a disservice. She interestingly was quite instrumental in women's suffrage in Argentina. She actively was lobbying for the vote and women got the vote in 1947, yeah, like right wow. in the midst of like her power. Yeah. She um, died of cervical cancer and possibly even got a prefrontal, a prefrontal lobotomy about a month before her death like oh to God. ease her pain. Oh, my God. Oh, my God is right. That's hectic. It's hectic. There's some evidence of that but it's pretty sketchy. So take that with a grain of salt. Yeah. Um, it's interesting though when I look into the controversy around the musical, no one mentions the whitewashing of the cast. Yeah. So I, I don't know how this has like slipped through the cracks. Well, that we're I th- okay. I with honestly this. think it's something that has only come to the forefront in the in the last five or so years. Yeah, it's making me shitty, man. Yeah, it's making me really shitty. Okay, do you want some fun facts? I do. This was the first British musical to win the Best Musical Tony Award. Oh my god! I know. So what year are we? 80? We are in 79. 79. Okay. Crazy, right? Wow. Oh, no, it was the 1980 Tonys. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. I thought that was so interesting. That's a great fact. Um, another fun fact, the real Ava Perón was a brunette. Obviously, like, there aren't many natural blondes in yeah. Argentina. She bleached her hair like platinum blonde so that she would stand out like at auditions and stuff. Yeah. And she kept that bleached hair for the rest of her life. Yeah. So usually like when I think of productions I've seen of Evita, I see like a bad wig. It's, yeah. It's because her hair was like she, yeah, she yeah. actively cultivated that look. Um, yeah. So another fun fact, Tim Rice was so taken with Ava Perón as like a person and her story that he named his first child Eva after her. Wow. Yeah. Um, Unarguably, the most famous song from the musical Don't Cry For Me, Argentina, it was originally titled It's Only Your Lover Returning. Oh. <laughs> Maybe that was one of the lines that she says. Yeah. Like, like it obviously changed, but. <laughs> it's such a bad title. It's Only yeah. Your Lover Returning. What the fuck is that? Anyway, um, this is not a fun fact, but Ava Perun's body was embalmed when she died and there was this plan for like a really extravagant statue and like mausoleum. Yeah. Think like larger than the Statue of Liberty that were planning wow. in Buenos Aires um, so that her body would like be displayed for the public. Yeah. However, Juan Perón was overthrown in a military coup in 1955 before they could finish sort of erecting this statue oh. and he fled to Madrid and her body was stolen. It disappeared for 16 years. No one knew where it was. Um, basically while the military dictatorship at the time, they banned Peronism. So like it was illegal to say their names or possess their images and no one knew where her body went. Her body was eventually returned to Juan Peron as a result of this left-wing guerrilla group called the Montaneros who, like not that I'm sanctioning this at all, but apparently they like stole some other body and then like we're like give us her body back and we'll give you his body and they like dumped this guy's body wow. in like the streets so, yeah it was fucking nuts man so her body finally is back and um i think well, it was quite damaged once they got it back but it's now you know like a really safe sort of crypt where it can be viewed yeah know, anyway 
that was not a fun fact, but it was a fact. Yeah. Um, also, there is no evidence that Che Guevara and Eva ever met. Ever met, yeah. No, Che would have been 24 when Eva died. So okay. probably not really. Yeah, yeah. Not really a thing. Okay, some gateway songs. I think Buenos Aires is definitely yep. the best gateway. Um, it's got everything you need. I've put the film version actually because okay. the orchestrations are fire. Okay, great. It's so Latin. Like you've got those amazing drums and and yeah, it's yeah. so good. Because a lot of the like the Broadway and the West End productions are, are really like, uh, they, what's the word I'm looking for? Euro, Euro, you. Can you help me out with a word where they've just been turned into like white person Yeah, like music. whitewashed basically. Yeah. yeah. So the music is very just like boring white person music yeah. where this should be like a vital yeah. Latin sort of, yeah. So definitely listen to that. And despite hating it, I think you should. I think a gateway song it's is definitely don't cry for me. Yeah. a gateway song. I think it is for sure. Yeah. It's also like a pretty rousing melody. Yeah. Like it sort of makes you feel patriotic. Yeah. Um, I've put the lady herself, Patti Lapone singing it because she slays yeah she does even um, though you don't like her even though i don't like her i've also put on this night of a thousand stars yeah because interesting. it's basically the beginning of ava's story like in the show when she's 15 and it features like a nice range of the music from the rest of the show mm. like it has a good little glimpse into and it also just tells her story of how she started yeah even though that probably wasn't true i chose the original broadway recording because you get to hear just a bit of lovely mandy at the beginning mm. and i love mandy so that's Evita. I also love, I think a new Argentina, which is the act one closest to oh, me, yeah. of course, you act one closing act one number. I do I love. D- I do love that song. I do love that song. Yeah. So. I love the clip of them doing it at the Tonys. Oh, so good. Well, yeah. it was only when I watched that clip that I realised Bob Gunton was in. Right. It was only when, because there's Patti Lapone with her amazing hair and her red lip and she was leaning over this guy and I'm like, Water Norton? Is that yeah. you? <laughs> <laughs> but also, have you watched? You haven't watched that clip recently, but it's clearly pre-recorded in a way that is a little awkward. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, because it, it's like you shouldn't. This shouldn't be a close-up shot of. I shouldn't be seeing this in close-up. Yeah, of you clearly m- lip syncing when that is yeah. not your specialty. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, she's great. She's great as Ava. I'm fairly certain that it's Magaldi that sings on the Tonight of a Thousand Stars. Isn't yeah, it? that's like right. The, 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 the tenor, tenor. Magaldi. Yeah. Um, so that, that was Michael Falzon in yes. the most recent, like Michael Falzon who passed away recently. Yeah. Amazing almost, Australian performer. Yeah. He's an incredible tenor. Yeah. Um, yeah. Who died of cancer not that long ago. Yeah. Um, and you saw that production, didn't I you? Did. I did. Look, the only thing I would say about that, that cast were like giving it their all yeah. and I really appreciated well, that. Well, directed by Hal Prince. Yeah. So here's my issue though. Okay. Is that, so it was at the Opera House. Yes. And that production was made for Broadway stage. Yeah. It was made for like a very traditional proscenium stage. And the Opera and House is And it was like they that. took it and put it on the Opera House stage, which is like twice the width mm. for one thing. It also isn't a proscenium. No. Um, and so like I guess it's a thrust. What would you call it? I would probably call it a black box because yeah. there's nothing there, I don't know, right? It's almost like there's a whole other term just for opera houses, right? Yeah. Like, anyway, um. Like it's like there's no proscenium, so just you need that like real contained proscenium look for that production, you and do. It, the stage looked empty to me a lot of the time. Like there was, it got incredible reviews that production. I might add, mm. um, but just for me, there was lots of those things where I was like, 
it was it felt like it was still staged to the size of a stage that was half the size of the one it was performed on. Do you know, interestingly, the original production that obviously Hal Prince also directed was incredibly sparse. Mm. And like that's something that critics are still divided on. Some okay. loved that's the sparsity of it. Like and that's minimal it, like, set. And like for it to look sparse on a stage that's like half the size of the one I saw it on. Yeah, so imagine. Like, do you know what I mean? Yeah, totally. And even just like there, there'd be a lot of stuff like when they're obviously because it's you know, she's like rousing the people and there's marches and stuff like that. They'd be marching on like a size of a square. Rather than actually using the whole stage. Yes, exactly. Interesting. Things like that that I just, yeah. So for me. I think the Opera House is a really problematic venue. For like musicals in general. I agree. I agree. You have to, like a show has to be staged to where it's being performed really. 100%. Unless the stage, unless like you're doing a US tour or whatever where the stages are basically going to be the same every time. Yeah. Yeah. I also saw it on tour in the UK because a girl that we knew um, from here was in it um, on in the tour and um yeah so I've seen it I've seen it quite a few times yeah. over the years. Yeah. So have I actually and I've I've sort of loved it every time. I think it may be too long. Mm. Um but I think when done well, particularly when you've got a good Evita. I like that amateur production that ISIS and directed, I like I was, was very beautiful. happy with that production that we did. Really beautifully designed, yeah. excellent actors. Yeah. Like that was a really beautiful production. Yeah, yeah. Like we were we were so happy with it. Yeah, you should have been. Yeah. You should have yeah. been. Yeah. Yeah, I. It's funny because I sometimes forget about Evita in my actual like fervent hate of <laughs> Angela Webber. Yeah, but it's really good. Mm. Anyway, yeah, I hope this has convinced Shane to listen to it. <laughs> That's right, Shane. Listen Shane, to your just wife. Just listen. Just and then listen, listen to Evita. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> He's just sick of hearing me say Colm and Mandy over and over. Oh, yeah, just those two words. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> just don't yell them out at any oh, appropriate time. Yeah, so true, so true. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Oh, great. Well, that was a good one. Thanks. I enjoyed I that. I loved your Reefer Madness. I, um, I love it when we do shows that are historical like that because me I too. love hearing what's changed yeah. and stuff like that. Yeah, and let's hope maybe some casting of it can be really considered. I, I, I really don't think you could do it. It's like Miss, like the most recent revival of Miss Saigon. Yeah. Like that That was a show that, you know, Jonathan Price was yeah. the engineer, right, originally. But then the Australian production was not that long ago and it was whitewashed. It was like 2000 and – was that, 18? No, it, Miss Saigon. No, 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 the, the Evita. Oh, Evita. Is what I'm talking yeah. about. No, you, you're right. <laughs> so we haven't really learned our lesson yet. No, but not it's yet. Like with, shows like, um, with shows like King and I and Miss Saigon, it's like yeah. now we know. That's right. But there are other shows that we don't I know, it's so weird. It's weird. Anyway, <sighs> sort that out. Um, please like, rate, review, et cetera. Do everything you can to get other people to listen to the show. That's it. We want other people to listen to yeah. what we do. Um, and like us on Instagram at My Favourite Musical with yep. you. And email us at myfavouritemusical at gmail.com. Yeah. And what do they do on Twitter? What, what My is the My Fave Musical. Yeah, but what can you do there? Do you like follow? Yeah, follow. I'll follow. Follow yeah. and then <laughs> retweet. Retweet. Or favourite. Oh, yeah. great. You're learning all about a social media platform. I love this. I learn so much. Oh, my God. Um, yeah. And um, we'll see you on Thursday for a mixtape. Yeah, don't forget to tune in Thursdays for the mixtape. Otherwise, we'll see you next Monday for yeah, the will. next full episode. Boom. All right. Bye. Bye. Bye.